Welcome. This is Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we have a conversation with Blake Bauer. Blake is the author of a book titled, You Were Not Born to Suffer. After reading what I have so far in his book and listening to Blake during our interview, it was clear to me that Blake has discovered some very important human truths. His message is simple yet profound and is essentially one of self-love. For me personally, self-love is definitely an area where I could use a lot of help which is kind of ironic because by definition, self-love is up to me. There were so many points in this conversation with Blake where he brought up topics and explained them in a way that I had never heard before. Like the importance of being selfish. What happens when we deny our feelings, needs, and desires? And how to respect yourself. These are life-changing concepts, so let's not mess around anymore and go straight to the conversation with Blake Bauer Tiana Roser, and myself, Tim Howe. Yeah, let's start with the name of your book. You are not born to suffer. I think that word suffer it's so it's so heavy right and scary and i'm sure you know a lot of people have heard this expression i don't know who it comes from but says pain is inevitable suffering is optional and i feel like that's sort of what your book is about and i love that because it's very empowering but i'm curious as far as like how you know sometimes maybe people are confused like what's the difference between pain and suffering how would you define suffering well, that is, I guess, a loaded question and very much open to interpretation. But I think we talk about pain and suffering on a spectrum, probably from physical to non-physical. So, you know, we have physical pain, like something like arthritis or getting into a car accident and having broken bones or broken ribs or stubbing your toe you know, cutting yourself with physical pain. And then we have uh, emotional pain, right? Uh, this emotionally charged ache, which can manifest either really in our heart, I think, or often deep in our solar plexus or down even a little bit of lower where you feel a bit nauseous and sick. I think that is a manifestation of emotional pain. And then there's psychological pain where you're totally trapped in your thoughts and overwhelmed by your thoughts and the voices in your head. And then so with all those physical, emotional, mental pain, I guess I would talk in terms of a volume button and how high is that volume turned up? You know, is it a zero, a one, a two, or is it a 10 in terms of volume? I am of the mindset of not belittling or reducing our pain and suffering in any way and saying things like, oh, you know, I don't have it nearly as bad as that person, so I shouldn't really talk about my pain and suffering wherever it is manifesting. 
And I think that our pain and our suffering, wherever it's manifesting, is valid and is purposeful and communicating to us a message and a lesson that if we embrace results in more awareness, more understanding, more love, and then a breakthrough of some kind in our experience of daily life and then our experience of finding relief from that suffering. So it's, that's a very, you know, kind of general big questions because we suffer in so many different ways on a daily basis and throughout our lives. And I think it's all really important to honor. Yeah, I, I appreciate that because in some spiritual circles, there's some good vibes only, love and light people who are kind of taking this path of not acknowledging the suffering. And I think it just goes back to this problem of polarization that we have on the planet versus the idea of like, oh, it's it's okay. And if I have the tools of self-love and acceptance and compassion, then I'm not afraid to look at anything or I'm not afraid to be around other people's suffering because I know how to show up for it and it won't drag me down. And so I think that particularly in this crazy year that we're in, and I think this kind of energy is going to continue moving forward, sort of the collective dark night of the soul that we're going through. It's so important that we learn how to sort of alchemize or transmute these lower energies versus pushing them down or running away from them. I resonated a lot with reading your personal story, I think a lot of people, you know, even though the experiences aren't all exactly the same, there's just universal themes in your personal story that a lot of people will relate to. Would you mind sharing that with us, kind of how you came to the understandings that you have now? Yes. Well, there's a kind of pre-awakening and then I guess post-awakening journeys, but the the beginning was like a lot of us just growing up in an unconscious family with a lot of suffering and self-destructive tendencies. I grew up around a lot of drug addiction and uh, drama, really. And then obviously I didn't know how to talk about my feelings or ask for help at a young age. And so as a teenager, I got into drinking alcohol and smoking pot and then eventually doing all kinds of drugs starting at about 13, 14, and then just progressing more and more and and abusing all of these substances throughout my teenage years. By the time I was 18, I had been arrested a number of times for drug possession. I had developed a pretty bad addiction to pharmaceutical pills, all different kinds that I didn't have a prescription for and was selling drugs. And then I also played sports growing up and played football in high school and uh, was a captain of the varsity football team with offers to play in university. And one night coming home from a party, I, it was about three o'clock in the morning, I got to a freight train in the middle of the night. I uh, was very tired and out of it from all the drugs I'd been taking and drinking and smoking and, had been, and was driving. So I put my car in park and put my head back waiting for the train to pass and I fell asleep and I woke up to police knocking on the window. I rolled down the window and was quoted as as saying to the officer, excuse me, officer, was I driving too slow? And then his response was, son, you've been parked here for about an hour. 
you know, I got a call that there's from this house over here that there's a car parked in front of the train tracks with the lights on running. So I got arrested. I had all those substances with me at the time. Uh, so more charges on drug possession at DUI. My football coach found out a few months later, I got kicked off the team in the middle of my senior year with offers to play in college. Once that situation unraveled and, and spiraled out of control, I then spiraled downhill because uh, at that time, I basically sabotaged everything that I cared about and everything that I identified with, which was my ego and who I believed myself to be. So I was very ashamed of myself, felt shamed in the community. I had a girlfriend at the time who I cared a lot about, but I pushed her away because I didn't love myself. I didn't like myself. I didn't feel good about myself. So I basically sabotaged everything that I cared about, everything that I loved, everything that I identified with, and everything that I took refuge in that was kind of my refuge from my family and from, you know, not really understanding my place in the world. And so at the age of 18, I just started to spiral further downhill into psychological and emotional torment to the point where I was waking up every day, just very anxious, paranoid, insecure, lost, confused. And then I'm sure you guys can probably connect back to that time of 18, trying to, you know, think to yourself, what am I going to do with my life? You know, do I go to school? What do I study? Do I work? What do I do? You know, what kind of work is life just about making money? Is that equal happiness and success? So I'm 18 starting to just spiral out of control and into these existential questions. And so it seemed like at that time, my peers were seemed like to be okay and to have their stuff together or, or we're taking life a little bit easier as it comes. Whereas I was very hard on myself and felt a lot of pressure to figure things out. And then on top of that was, you know, having suicidal tendencies and thoughts on a regular basis and just didn't have anybody to turn to. I didn't have people I respected or looked up to, or let alone know how to ask for help. So I was in a very bad place around the age of 18. And so out of that came this instinctual feeling of, and this is where my book title comes from, life was not meant to be so painful, that I was not meant to be suffering like this. Part of my suffering was this feeling that there had to be some kind of purpose to my life, but I had no idea what it was. And so I suffered on a daily basis from the confusion of that as well. So I moved forward from the, the age of 18, just wanting to answer two questions. How do I heal myself or free myself from my suffering? And what's the purpose of my life? And so between my dysfunctional family growing up, my own drug and alcohol abuse as a teenager, and then feeling very lost and confused uh, and in a lot of psychological and emotional pain around 18, those were the, the influences that drove me forward to basically devote 100% to my path, which now I'm very grateful for. But at the time, it felt like I was in hell. You mentioned your path. What did that entail? So from that point in your life, you committed, I guess, to yourself, but you, you did it through these practices and spiritual learning and, and um, holistic learning. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So 
it was all very instinctual. You know, I think it was still coming from a very instinctual, intuitive and unconscious place at first. I didn't have like this grand awareness of like, you know, I'm on this spiritual path or this is the path to freedom or this is going to lead me to some form of enlightenment. It was very much I was like a sick animal that was desperate and in need of healing just to simply feel better than I felt ironically it started the only part of my identity at 18 that I had left was my physical body being an athlete I had you know worked out a lot and had a lot of muscle and it was really this armor I had built up around my heart and it was the last part of this ego identity that I had left at that age and so one day when I was 18 I was in the gym lifting too much weight and I was very vain so I would do my legs and my back and my arms but I never would do my core and I didn't know at the time I would never go into my core because I didn't want to work on the repressed emotions that were in my core and so one day I'm in the gym uh, lifting too much weight and I completely herniated in my back and I fell to the ground and was pretty debilitated for a couple of weeks. I don't know if you've ever herniated some discs, but it's not fun. And I could hardly walk. I could, you can't lay down. It's so uncomfortable. You can't sit up. It's uncomfortable. It's hard to sleep. I mean, it is absolutely horrible. But that was such a blessing in disguise because that led me to practicing yoga and also getting acupuncture treatments. And I had never had acupuncture and I had never been exposed to Chinese medicine, but I couldn't believe how acupuncture helped me uh, through opening up the flow of energy and blood in the body. And then I started practicing yoga to the point where I was practicing, I'd say five to seven days a week. And I couldn't believe how much that helped me to open up my joints, to open up my muscles, to become more flexible, to increase that flow of energy and blood. And if you talk in terms of spiritual forces, I didn't realize I was awakening my soul and spirit. I was, you know, focused on the physicality of it and, and that it just made me feel better. It brought me peace. It helped me not be so anxious and all over the place, really confused. And so that's where it began. And I would say it began with yoga, but my tendency was to wake up feeling confused and tortured mentally and emotionally. I would then turn to habits throughout the day that made me feel better, like reading a book on spirituality or personal development, eating healthier, you know, taking vitamins. And then I would go do yoga at some point in the day and I'd feel great and I'd feel more present. But then as the evening set in, all of my crazy thinking and unhealthy thoughts would resurface and I would feel tortured and confused again, mentally and emotionally. So that went on for a long time before I came across Buddhist meditation. So around the age of 18, 19, I stumbled into a, a Buddhist uh, meditation center and sat down and learned the, you know, the, the meditation that the Buddha taught. And I've been practicing that meditation ever since. And I would say that learning to train my mind at the core of my mind saved my life and was probably the single most influential factor that has helped me to now help over 100,000 people all over the world. Because I do think if we don't train our mind at the core, there's always going to be this aspect of us that's driving us unconsciously and blocks us from having the full access to the power to change our lives and heal and you know shape our life into, into what we want. So 
it was yoga, it was eating better, it was supplements, then it became meditation. It was reading every book I could find on spirituality, God, religion, quantum physics, all the different paths to enlightenment. So this is kind of how my path developed. I went to study and work in these fields. So I worked for an integrative pharmacy, you know, with vitamins and herbs. I worked for a Chinese medicine doctor that was also a, an oncologist. He was an herbalist and an oncologist. And then I went to school for psychology, nutrition, Chinese medicine, so acupuncture and or herbal medicine. Tiana, I, I noticed that you studied with Dolores Cannon. I studied with Dolores and Brian Weiss, and so past life regression therapy, kinesiology. So my path manifested in all different different kinds of ways, just exploring all these ways to get back to ourselves, to feel whole, to unlock the flow of energy, your spirit, your soul, blood inside. You've, you've had so much of a journey in so much training and so much work. And I, and I think like, oh, some people are going to maybe hear that and go, oh, my God, I can't, I can't do all of that. This guy did all of that. There's just no way I can do all of that. And what, what would you say to that person? Well, thankfully, you don't have to do all of that. <laughs> because the, the point is, is that some of us who, ha, you know, have a drastic, take drastic measures, you know, part of the purpose, and this is one thing that's been really powerful for me is to see that in my life that my suffering had a purpose that was greater than just me, that my suffering has served the purpose of helping tens of thousands of other people not have to deal with all the hiccups I did. And I think I'm sure you both can relate I think there's a lot of misleading information in the world. And <laughs> and I'm laughing just because it's an understatement, not not that that there's some misleading. But yes, it's yeah. crazy now. Uh-huh. Yes. And you know, and and everybody and most people mean well, right? But but we live in a time and a place where we have to make a living. You can kind of believe whatever you want and then find other people that believe the same thing. And like with social media, for example, your Facebook page, your Instagram page, and Google will put pages and advertising that reinforce your beliefs and your thinking so you can kind of live within your own worldview. So I think there's a lot of confusion in the world. And so I was desperate to not be confused and to understand really practical, no BS tools to really enjoy my life, to have good, healthy relationships with the people I love the most, my family, friends, a partner, and then basically create a life that I respect myself for. And I think that a lot of the healing, personal development, and spiritual courses and teachers not everybody has the same intention and some people have other drives whether it be for money or validation or things they wounds they never healed at home and so i've taken my path really seriously and so one of the things that has made my suffering worth it is being able to share what I've learned and what's helped me with other human beings who, when you have another soul look you in the eyes, and I'm sure you guys get this, and, and, you, and they feel genuinely that your insight has helped them be, find relief from their deep pain in some way, there's almost nothing more real than that. You know, It's like, for example, I've always been a lover. I love to love. 
You know, I've been in a lot of relationships. And you know how when you're young, you think, oh, I'm in love and this is my soulmate and I'll be with this person for the rest of my life. But then you, you know, a few years passed and you're not in the same relationship. And then you think, you know, was, was that love? Was I in love? Because at the time I thought that was real. That was like the realest thing for me, you know, and we, so we grow through what we find to be real and what's true. And for me, I think when you meet another human being in that place of we're all on the, this path of freedom from suffering, and I, I don't know, I find, for me, I find something so real about that because it's not like I don't really want anything from them. I mean, yes, they're coming from, for some answers, and that's really all they want from me. And, you know, and then we kind of go our own separate ways. So we're not, we don't have those same dynamics that you have with a family or a partner or a friend. There's, it's a lot purer. So for somebody that has never, you know, I've had some clients like this, sadly, sadly, there are people in this lifetime who have never experienced genuine love, who were raised without love and form these subconscious patterns from childhood. No one's shown them what it's like to love themselves unconditionally or to love others unconditionally. When they hear this message of, okay, the way to stop suffering is to love unconditionally, it just seems like far reach. What would be a good first step for someone like that? Well, the message is actually to treat yourself with unconditional love. Not to love others unconditionally, but to love yourself because the natural byproduct of loving yourself unconditionally becomes, you become a source of unconditional love in the world. And so I would say I come from that background where I didn't have that type of healthy, unconditional love. And so I was unconsciously seeking unconditional love outside of myself and hurting myself. And then what I realized is that my whole healing spiritual and personal development journey and my and my search for purpose was all a symptom of me needing to learn how to love myself that's all it was that was the whole journey the whole process i frame everything within that so for those of you listening all that matters is that you trust your your inner compass and your inner feelings and you you follow that as you step forward every day and the key is to learn to value and love yourself unconditionally because you're going to know what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And then you learn to choose based on, is this me valuing myself 100% today and in this situation or is it not? And that's really the barometer. Am I valuing myself 100% in this situation today or not? And the multi-trillion dollar priceless question is, how do I do that? How do I value myself? And so that's really what I focus on is teaching people how to love and value and be true to themselves. Because in my experience, that is the key and the secret to everything. And it's deeply misunderstood because people will say a lot of these books, a lot of courses, a lot of teachers will say, hey, you got to go love yourself. Go love yourself. Great advice. But how the hell do I do that? Right. And that's, I'm sure you both know on your path. That's, that's the question. How do I do this? And for me, I read thousands of books and they didn't explain exactly how to do it. And so that's what I, that's what I was de desperate for. I'm looking for this love externally. I'm betraying myself and hurting myself and constantly getting disappointed, looking for it from other people or looking for it from a teacher because I never really understood how to do it for myself. 
And so now that's all I focus on is teaching people how to fish for themselves. You know that, that old saying, you give a man or a woman a fish they eat for a day. Uh, we teach you to fish you eat for a lifetime. And so to me, it's you either give someone love and they eat for the day, or you teach them how to fish for themselves. You teach them how to love themselves and they eat for a lifetime. So I would say to anybody, it's not complicated and you don't need it from anybody else. You need it from yourself and your essence, your true nature, your heart knows this. It's already a, a source of pure love. All you need to do is let it out and stop hurting yourself and suffocating who you really are, trying to get love from other people. Yeah, I feel like that's something that applies to each and every single person. Because, you know, on your website, you had a bunch of stuff listed that I really resonated with, you know, it was like people who are experiencing financial worry or loneliness or guilt or self-doubt. And I felt like, oh, yeah, that's me for sure. But that's probably not just me. It's probably a lot of people because that covers a lot of stuff. What you're essentially saying is that self-love, unconditional self-love is really the answer to each and every one of those problems I just listed. And um, I know this, you know, deep inside, I, I know this, that I need that and that that's important, but it's extremely elusive. Like, I don't know exactly if I'm doing that or how and when I should be doing that. And it's just, it's like one of those things. It's like, you know, it just kind of slips through your fingers. It feels like it's there, but, but is it there? You know, I, I question that a lot and, and like it would kind of transform my life if I could figure that out. But I don't know. I don't know that I, I am doing it. You know, it's just it's a very strange concept. It, do you feel like that, too? Do you feel like there's it's not like loving someone else? Let's just say that like that seems to me like in comparison, it seems so simple because you could just like you could express that and in, into the physical world, you could just say like to them, I love you. Do you know that? Or you, you could give them a hug and, and then they know that you love them, you know, to some degree. But for yourself, like, how do you do that? How, how really do you do that? Is there like a process? Is, is that what your book explains? Like this step-by-step things that you can do like physical things or mental things, I guess. Yes. A hundred percent. And I've basically distilled it down to four key habits that we basically need to. So, so the, the first battle is knowing uh, what you need to do, right? And then you need to implement it. So both are challenging because we spend a lot of time searching for the answers. But if you find an answer and it actually is an effective, practical, true answer, then is the process of applying it and uh, integrating it into your life. So both phases are very challenging and they seem to kind of come together. That is the path, right? We want to find awareness and insight that helps us suffer less, enjoy life more, be more authentic, have better relationships, uh, and have a higher quality of, of existence while we're here. And so we're constantly trial and error. It's like, uh, bumper cars, right? We're kind of like bumping around and we learn as we go how not to bump into so many things that, that cause us pain. And so, yes, I think you're right. It can be very elusive, but the more clear you start to get, then 
your feedback system becomes clear because basically if you're not feeling good, your body is responding and telling you that something's off. Either your thoughts are off, you're not expressing yourself in a healthy way, you need something that you're not getting or you're not giving to yourself, or you could be stuck in a negative story, negative thoughts, which then is causing your body to feel a certain way and causing your environment and the people around you to respond in a certain way. So uh, the more clear we get with each step, the more clear the messaging is that comes from our body and from life as to what that's trying to tell us. So again, that's why everything comes back to perception. And so our worldview and our belief system is how we interpret ourselves, what we're experiencing inside and what's happening around us. And so um, for me, starting with this big view that, all of our suffering and all of our struggles are a cry from our soul asking us to love, value, and be more true to ourselves in every moment and every situation for me is the most liberating framework from which to operate, you know, because not all mindsets are created equal. If you believe you're born a sinner and that's your mindset that is going to hold you back your entire life because you're just going to you're just going to believe that you deserve to suffer and be punished and have guilt and shame your whole life because your worldview is is that you were born a sinner whereas if your worldview is for example i came here to enjoy being on the earth and to learn about love everything that you experience is happening and unfolding within that context and one topic I like to talk about is that all beliefs and all thoughts are not real, right? Your topic, your uh, podcast, Beyond the Illusion. So in my perception, all thoughts and all beliefs are illusions, but we can't help but have them. And the question to ask is, does this belief and does this thinking serve me? Or does this belief and does this thinking cause me to suffer and keep me trapped. And so to me, the value of a thought or a belief system is determined by the outcome, what it, what it causes, the karma of that belief, of that thought, what it sets in motion, what it creates and attracts. And so in my experience through trial and error, one of the most liberating and healthy mindsets we can have is that I came here to learn about love and to enjoy my life. And the key to doing that is to learn how to love myself in a healthy way so I can be healthy and happy and then offer healthy love to other people and be of benefit to the world. So if you see everything from that framework, then when you have an experience that doesn't feel good, you're not stuck thinking, uh, poor me, right? I'm the victim of this situation. You might, you'll, you'll learn to eventually ask yourself, why am I creating this? Why am I attracting this? Where am I not being true to myself enough? Where am I not talking about my feelings and my needs enough? Where am I actually not monitoring my thoughts enough? You know, what little thoughts am I letting slip by that might be attracting or creating this experience? Or who do I keep trying to please because I'm scared of hurting them or losing them? And therefore, I'm not honoring what I feel and need and want fully 
because I'm still trying to please this person. Along the lines of what you were just saying about, you know, pleasing others. And I saw you had a chapter called that was about healthy selfishness, which yeah, I love that yes. term. Can you define that for us? Because so many times people think that self-love, oh, that's egoic and wrong and not understanding a higher perspective of that. So how would somebody know what's healthy selfishness versus unhealthy selfishness? Absolutely. So the the beginning of that conversation is the demystification of the the topic of selfishness. In, in my experience, and I think if if you have really honest conversations with someone, you will eventually get to the truth that everybody is selfish. And I think all nature is designed to be selfish to first survive and then to thrive. And I always go back to the metaphor of an apple tree, because if you think about an apple tree, if the apple tree doesn't selfishly get what it needs from the environment, right, from the from the ground, water, and nutrients, if it doesn't get the sunlight that it needs, if it doesn't get the carbon dioxide that it needs it can't grow into this strong apple tree that has lots of branches and leaves and apples. And then what does that apple tree become to its environment? It becomes abundant and of benefit. So we get the benefit from the apples and the oxygen and the firewood and the shade and the beauty of the apple tree. And we are nature. We are not separate from nature, but there is this shame around the topic of selfishness. So we deny our selfish nature, which really practically comes back to we deny our feelings and we deny our needs. We deny our desires. And when you repress your emotions, when you deny your needs and your desires, the manifestation of that, the symptom of that is unhealthy selfishness. So I'll, so a great example is let's say we have a friendship, the three of us. And I never talk about my feelings and I'm a people pleaser. So I always just want to make sure you two are okay. And I never tell you what I feel and I never tell you what I need. And I've developed a habit of drinking a lot of beer, let's say, because that makes me feel better. And in reality, I'm drinking a lot of alcohol because that helps me numb my emotions. So that's an unhealthy form of selfishness where I become disconnected from my feelings, needs, and desires. And then let's say, I have this alcohol problem because that's my habit. Typically, if you have an alcohol problem, you have two, two manifestations of that. One is just depression. So I would be very depressed and kind of disconnected and despondent. Or the other side of it, or people swing between these two, is anger. So I become angry, insensitive, cold. And then so people will call me selfish. So you might think I'm selfish because I'm being kind of a an asshole or I'm not being nice because I'm drunk and I'm a bit angry and I'm a bit depressed, but that's coming from me denying my feelings and my needs and my goals to please you guys and to kind of keep that dynamic going in our relationship. And that's a really great example because a lot of people deny what they feel, need, and want, and then they, they cope with these unhealthy habits or addictions. They eat too much, drink too much, smoke too much, work too much. And it's all because they don't know how to say, I feel this, I need this, I want this, and they're really stuck. So that's a manifestation of unhealthy selfishness, where healthy selfishness is where in our friendship, I'm able to say, this is what I feel, guys. This is what I need. This is what I want, which then prevents me from becoming resentful of you guys and becoming destructive 
and then uh, unpleasant to be around. We have this misunderstanding around what selfishness is. And then a lot of us, when we go to talk about our feelings and we go to follow our heart or do what we really want or do what we feel called to, we experience a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. The people around us also tend to use guilt and shame to manipulate. So it's like if I say, oh, you're so selfish for doing what you want to do, right? I'm telling you, you're selfish for doing what you want to do. And when I'm telling you that you're selfish, aren't I typically trying to get you to do what I want you to do? But I'm calling you selfish. So you're selfish for not doing what I want you to do. It's a little messed up. <laughs> but that's how everybody works. And that's how all relationships work. And, and it's a can of worms, but it goes back to our childhood. And it goes back to this topic that I call forbidden truth, which is that I think every child that comes into the world comes into the world for selfish reasons. In other words, I believe our parents had us for selfish reasons. And nobody wants to admit that. So when you really break it down, if you think about all the reasons why a man or a woman has a child, often it's very unconscious, okay? Or it's an accident, right? Or they didn't believe in abortion or they want to have a family. They uh, want something to care for. They want purpose. They want to create something together. Everybody else is doing it, so we should do it. So there's all these reasons why a man or a woman has a child. And if you really break it down, you'll see that it is always about the mother or the father, one of them or both of them. It's never really about the child because there's a very, very small percentage of functional, healthy adults that say, I want to bring a child into the world that's going to make the world a better place. And I'm going to sacrifice myself to support them to have the best life. It's, it's in maybe it's very rarely an altruistic intention. And even when it is an altruistic intention, whose intention is it? It's still the mother or the father. It has nothing to do with the child. And so when we come into the world, our parents don't automatically become selfless. Yes, they have a responsibility and they have to step up to some degree. And a lot of parents fall short of that. But some really rise to the occasion. But that doesn't mean that they still don't have their own feelings, their own needs, and their own desires that they don't know how to juggle. And then here's this other being that they're now responsible for. So basically, all of us as children, to some degree, learn to hide our feelings, needs, and desires to keep the peace with mom and dad. And that's where our unhealthy, selfish tendencies develop, is in childhood, in trying to keep love, not get abused, keep the peace, keep approval, keep security, not be hit, screamed at, have anything withdrawn from us. And then as adults, we're so confused. Why do I feel so guilty for wanting to talk about my feelings? Why do I feel so guilty for wanting to follow my heart? Why do I feel like a bad person when I want to eat vegan and everybody else wants to eat meat? Like, why do I feel so self-conscious? And so this is really, if you go really deep down the rabbit hole into this can of worms, is that 
we learn to feel guilty for our feelings and guilty for existing because we were born to human beings that are imperfect and selfish and they were in denial about it. And they're struggling with the same things we're struggling with because they learned it from their parents and they learned it from their parents. And so I think that this self-destructive relationship that we have with ourselves that's based on a denial of our feelings, needs, and desires is the root cause of human suffering, the root cause of the excess pain we cause for ourselves, going back to the first question that you asked me about the difference between pain and suffering, the root cause of all the extra suffering we create in our life goes back to this unhealthy, toxic, self-destructive relationship that we developed to ourselves, to our own thoughts, our own feelings, and our body in childhood to survive and to keep the peace. And so we move forward with this unhealthy, toxic selfishness because we never learned how to have healthy self-love and healthy selfishness because really everybody's struggling trying to learn this. There's not a lot of good examples. And then what happens is we tend to swing. So if you've been denying your feelings, needs, and desires for a long time and you have this unhealthy selfishness and now you're on your spiritual path and now you're on your personal development path. And now you are working with affirmations that say, I am worthy and deserving of love. We tend to swing the other way really hard. A lot of people will swing the other way and they become a bit self-righteous. But so sometimes that's not sustainable because there's this middle path, right? We want to love and value ourselves, but we also want to love and value the people around us. And that's why this is a very, I think, such an important conversation because to me, it's the it's the story that surrounds the evolution of human consciousness and the evolution of our DNA, of our biology, is transforming this toxic relationship that we're all born with to ourselves and that's passed down from generation to generation and is really at the root of all of our problems. And so learning how to create this healthy relationship to ourselves with our thoughts, with our emotions, with our body, with our behavior is the... Uh, for me, the answer to everything. I agree. That tends to be at the core. Like people will come for hypnosis sessions for all sorts of things, right? Like you said, some of these habits or addictions or things they want to change. And then we invariably almost always end up doing inner child healing and doing work where to get them to uh, have a healthy relationship with their emotional self. I see in our society, in our culture, that you know, you're talking about um, toxic, like toxic belief system. There's like a toxic belief system that there's lack and that we need to compete for resources and love and we need to earn love and acceptance to be valued. And so men like you, you know, Tim and Blake um, on a spiritual path will be open to the idea of loving yourself and trying to get in touch with your emotions. But then I have some clients, I've, I've had this with a several male clients, and it's it's been a, a challenge if you're not on a spiritual path, where when I talk to them, because I could see that's the root of the issue, and like I talk to them about loving and accepting themselves, they were afraid that if they started to love themselves, that they would become soft and they would lose their edge. And so how do you, <laughs> you know, this, this idea that, you know, you have to compete. And if, if somebody's not spiritual, 
how can we help um, men who are afraid of embracing their emotions? And I saw you had a chapter on vulnerability, and I think this feeds into it because, you know, I've come to a place where I think vulnerability is strength and is beautiful. But if you say to a man generally, you know, to become vulnerable, ooh, that makes them shudder and get uncomfortable. <laughs> that feels weak. And so how can we help women too, but particularly, you know, men in our in our society are told that they have to be strong and how can we help them to be open to the idea or see the value of vulnerability and opening to love themselves and not being afraid of losing their edge? Well, I think I work with a lot of men and I think one is being an example. I think too, as a woman working with a man, there's always going to be a little bit of doubt there when it comes to this topic. But when men are talking to each other, you're either like playing that guy's guy's thing, or you're just kind of no BS real. And I know for me on my path, I didn't find a lot of men that to me were a really healthy example of strength and vulnerability. There was kind of, it was kind of very extreme. It was either very strong logical, disconnected, successful in business and money, but not in relationships, not emotionally, not spiritually. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there were men that to me felt they were on a spiritual path. But for me, it was the concept going back to what we were talking about, about spiritual bypassing. Because I think a lot of men, especially because men gravitate towards the mind, we gravitate towards meditative spiritual practices, which are, there's this term in our industry called spiritual bypassing, where you use spiritual practice to bypass your emotions. And so I found a lot of men had great, really interesting ideas and ethereal concepts and lived in this interesting mystical place in their mind, but didn't feel so present to me with a really open heart. Because really, what's the manifestation of this path? It's being fully here with your heart open to life and to yourself and to other people. Everything is extra. Everything is just sprinkles or uh, ornaments. And so for me, and this is something I talk about in my book, and it's the same theme, is like I was looking for love and I had to become the love I was looking for. So we have to become really what we're looking for. So I was also subconsciously looking for a role model as a male, and I had a lot of trouble finding them. And so I had to, I personally had to become my own embodiment of what I instinctually felt was this balance between an open heart and a clear, logical mind that could sift through confusion and concepts that can be very confusing in, the, in our world. And so when I'm talking to men, I like to get very frank about the importance of just being real to themselves, opening up about what they're feeling and what they need. And then I told, we'll talk about things like, do you feel appreciated, you know, for what you're doing? And if you're not feeling appreciated, well, why do you keep doing it? If you're feeling hurt and you're not talking about it, why, you know, why aren't you valuing yourself more? Like, where is it, you know, where is it getting you? Because typically when we have this problem, it actually results in us feeling taken advantage of feeling used, feeling alone, feeling misunderstood. So here we are trying to play this role for the people in our life, 
and we're just hurting ourselves and ending up feeling like we're getting the short end of the stick. And so I help to make it really practical and frame it in terms of what is this habit, this behavior getting you? Is it helping your marriage or is it hurting it? Do you want to end the marriage or do you want to make it better? Well, then what you've been doing is not working. So you've got to change your approach. I think it's a hard road for men and women, for all of us to get to this place where we really are 100% true to ourselves and understand how to express our feelings in a healthy way and understand that we have to do that every day to be happy, but also to respect ourselves. And so this is another topic I talk about with men is that if you feel something and you don't express it because you're scared or you feel ashamed or you feel guilty, the result subconsciously is a lack of self-respect. And that's really what success is about, peace, happiness for all of us, men and women, is do you respect yourself deep down? When you look in your eyes in the mirror in the morning and at night, when you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the morning, do you respect yourself for who you are and how you are? And if you betray yourself on a daily basis with the people in your life, you cannot respect yourself. So I will help men to see that point because I think that that's a, a very important point. And then the other two points that come to mind are if men really do love and care for their partners, for example, a female partner and even a male partner, I think it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is, but your partner in life is going to need to be met emotionally in some way. And if you are not meeting them emotionally, you're going to lose them. Then the question is, okay, so do you want to lose your partner? Do you want to lose your children? And if you don't, well, this is your only option. So I make it, you know, black in terms of logic. It's like you have this choice or you have this choice. You keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep getting what you've got. Or you do this and it will fix the problem. So I try to help them get over that obstacle or that hurdle by showing them that you, there are two outcomes. And if you want this outcome, you have to do this, even though you feel vulnerable about it. And then the last point is legacy especially for people with children. Because if I say, you know, sometimes a, a mother or a father don't value themselves enough to do it for themselves. But when I think about, when I say, you know, as a mother, what's the legacy you want to leave for your daughter or for your son of what the expectations of a woman are? Or if I say to a man, what are the expectations you want to demonstrate for your daughter, your son into as to how a man or a woman is in the world. Because as a man, if you are cold and disconnected and not emotional, well, what kind of relationship do you think you're teaching your daughter is okay? And what kind of relationship do you think your son is okay? And a lot of times because people don't value themselves, you need to externalize it and make it about the child because they're at this point in their life where they don't value themselves a lot and their life has become about their family and their children. And so you frame it in that context. What is, what is the legacy you want to leave for your daughter or your son in terms of what a man is, what a healthy male looks like? Is he cold, disconnected, or is he sensitive and open and honest and still able to function and be there and provide, you know, all these things. And so I think as men, it's kind of like women joke, right? That we're not good at multitasking, right? So we think we have to like be one way or the other, but they're not mutually exclusive. We can do both. We can be strong and logical and function and function well and have our heart open and connect deeply, you know, with the people we love. So 
and again, it depends, as you know, it depends. Each guy you work with is going to have their own unique block. We got to find what's their story that's blocking them and then untangle that story, untie that knot and show them that it's not a true story. They just keep thinking it and believing it, but they can choose to think something else and look at things in a different, different viewpoint, different light. So much of what you said is just really hitting home with me. And I know other people who are listening are going to feel the same way. Yeah, I feel like you hit a, a lot of really great points, especially the you know the stuff you were talking about with the the selfishness. I mean, that was like to me that was all a point of view that I had never really considered before, and it was just amazing to have you you know explain it in such great detail. And it was, you know, I don't know, it was just really moving for me to hear you talk about selfishness the way you did. I feel like your book is probably just full of stuff like this too. Can you tell? our listeners where they can find your book and how they can find you if they want to get in contact with you too. Absolutely. It's obviously on Amazon. You were not born to suffer. It's reasonable and it's effective. So I encourage people who are disheartened or disillusioned and have spent a lot of money looking for help. You know, the audio book, the ebook, the physical book, they're all very reasonable. And then I'm on all social media platforms and then there's my website. So, which is unconditional-selflove.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk with us. Thank you for having me. Is it all, is our time up already? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, it flew is, by. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that, you know, or one last message that you wanted to give to the listeners? I guess if your feelings, needs, and desires don't matter to you, They'll never really matter to anybody else. And life can't feel worth living if you don't say, I matter. My feelings matter. My needs matter. My desires matter. And move from instinctually from that center of this feels good and I matter. And then that will part and open everything you need to unlock. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I want to say thank you very much to Blake Bauer for taking the time to share his knowledge and gifts with us. If you want to learn more about Blake and his offerings or more about his book, You Were Not Born to Suffer, please visit unconditional-selflove.com. I'd also like to thank Tiana Roser for all the work she does to keep this podcast interesting and Casey Henson for providing all the music. If you'd like to learn more about us or find past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. This will help other people find us. Take care.